0: You go to the bar and you order a Manhattan and the cherry is a Lincoln tracking beacon. I mean, what are
1: you, what are you going to do? If you're John Ross, there's nothing more depressing than LinkedIn coming back and saying, I found 18. I found 18. Oh my God. It's so bad. <laughs> Paul, our guest today is very intimidating because he has about 211 consonants in his last name.
0: Oh, no, I've been practicing. I, get, I get Do a, you have uh, it right?
1: Tom Rudzinski. Oh, that's perfect. Mm. Is it a
2: duh? Rud? It's like a ruz. Rudzinski. Yeah. But there's a punch to it. Hey, man, it's
1: spelled the way it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. We have Tom Rudzinski, a director of product management here at Postlight. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me on.
2: Tell us uh, your path to how you got here. Sure. It was a little bit winding, probably different than most people. I spent seven years after college getting a PhD in American history.
1: Mm. What was
0: your concentration?
2: I was studying uh, U.S. history in the 20th century. I was writing a dissertation on retirement migration.
0: Wait, wait. You were studying migration?
2: Migration. So like when old people moved from the Northeast to Florida, I tried to figure out why they decided to do it to Florida and what they did after they got there. Interesting. It was pretty interesting. So like
0: statistical and historical
2: studies of snowbirds. Statistical, historical, of snowbirds, exactly. The tentative title was God's Waiting Room. Oof. Jeez. I got a lot of retiree jokes. Did you talk to lots of retirees? Did you go down to Florida? I went down to Florida. I was there for almost a year, probably on and off doing research. Do do you know how many butter
0: cookies Tom (laughs) ate during that time? Do you know how you can measure that migration? It's by where the
1: Ponderosa restaurants are.
0: (laughs) When you can get ranch dressing from a bucket at 11 a.m.,
1: you're, you're, you you're hitting you're... the epicenter. All right. Now, get me from there to here.
2: Oh, yeah. So, uh, around 2008, there was a financial crisis, mm-hmm. and I took a look at the job market for academia and what it was, it was really collapsing at the time. Come to
0: us all, I nearly went and got a grad degree, and, yeah. and I saw this too, yeah.
2: There's a lot of adjunct professor jobs, but not in a place where I could decide that I mm-hmm. wanted to live, so I, uh, I went... Networking. And my future wife's sister's boyfriend ran a tech company. So I introduced myself to him and told him that I'm ready to do tech. I was studying some macroeconomics and finance as part of the broader retiree milieu. So I knew a little bit more about financial accounting than most. So this was a a software company that built lease finance accounting software. And they didn't know anybody who knew both tech and accounting and they needed people who could learn really quickly and were going to ask good questions. So I got a job as a business analyst, which is sometimes what they called product managers back in the day. We
0: don't we don't talk about BAs uh, enough, but it really is like a good starting point. Absolutely. Because the job is go talk to people and figure out what the hell they do. Yep. and figure, and
1: distill it down. to requirements.
0: Yeah. right, And then user stories and use cases mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it's it doesn't come up a lot because it's kind of the role of the product manager here. But yeah, BA is a serious Job, it's a good one.
2: Absolutely, but because it was a small company, I was running the client management, doing what a product manager. So you got does. the exposure exactly at that early time. It was a
0: startup experience at some
2: level. I yeah, know if yeah. you've been around for a while, but like that's that's what it's like Essentially. to go to a startup. Yeah. And then uh, through another friend from growing up, actually, I got a job at Razorfish in New York as a project manager, which. Their agency product management wasn't a thing. So you kind of had technical project managers. And so I went in there and did technical project management for some really big web dev builds. And then Huge gave me a call and said, we want to bring you on as a product manager. So people don't know, Razorfish
0: probably a lot of people have heard
2: of, but a Big Web Agency, Huge is another Big Web Agency. Yep. I thought you
1: were going to make a huge pun. No, no, I don't make... I don't think they're anywhere near as big as Razorfish, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I don't know, because they're all owned by giant thingamajigs. Yeah, But Razorfish
2: is huge, right? Razorfish was huge. It doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. RIP. It merged with Sapient, and then Sapient retired that brand. So huge. Were you product manager? Yes, I was a product manager. And the first year... There, I answered a lot of questions about what an agency product manager was, but I didn't actually know. I was kind of making it up as I went along. But, you know, I figured out there's there's a little bit of client stewardship, there's a little bit of product strategy, there's a little bit of just getting things shipped, and um, drew upon all of my background experiences, except for the American history part.
0: Okay, I'm sure that comes up, that sort of analytical requirement of it. It's
2: more the storytelling part, oh, right? So, okay. So when you're presenting work or kind of framing context for a question or a decision, That's where the humanities training that I got really comes into play.
1: Product management is is funny in that it sort of has wedged its way in. And now, I mean, we're always hiring product managers. It's worth noting because... It's so hard to write the job description, and it's so hard to put out the job rec and the title that you're seeking out. Because there are great product managers out there who are not calling themselves product managers also today. be clear that is real.
0: Agency product management is a special kind of challenge.
1: It is, and and Tom just touched on it. Oftentimes, a product manager it doesn't include sort of the client relations part of it, it's often inside of a big product company yep. uh, where you're just driving a point releases or whatever. Well, you're but, an unusual hire for us
0: because you have the agency background. Most mm-hmm. people were just like, please come in and we'll, we'll help you get acclimated. And they're like, I want this experience of multiple clients and I want that challenge. And we're like, great, let's make it work. With you, I remember the interview and we're just like, "Yep, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because it's it's, yeah. it's it's unusual. You have to have a particular temperament where the lack of ownership and the soft power of the product manager is, is an engaging problem unto itself. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And if you want to nerd out for a second, one of the core requirements of a product manager is being able to prioritize well. The way in which you go about prioritization typically would involve metrics or dates. But with a client, you have to balance those things of being a good product steward and getting good results from the products that you're shipping and their needs, right? Yep.
0: Here's what I find sometimes really challenging, really, but also really rewarding. You get parachuted in and then you have to interpret and understand a culture with a set of rules and dynamics that are completely important to everyone on the ground that you have never heard of before. They're like, oh my God, that if we don't deal with QRX
2: immediately. And they're like, what are you going to do about QRX, Tom? Well, we've got a plan. First, we're going to take it back to a few other stakeholders. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. It's not,
0: it's funny, right? Because you do have this background as someone who is literally, you know, spent years trying to get a PhD in kind of interpreting the culture. Yeah. Like, like you had to go figure out how the world works, where the people were. And like, you're using that DNA very much here. Right? It's
2: interesting. It's, it's a mix of both. So it's an adjustment where in academics, you've read the books. So when the question comes up, you have an approach or you have a specific thought in mind of where you want to go in the conversation. But in product management, although you've read the books and you don't know the process, like you were mentioning, the client might have their own process. So there's a lot of improvisation, a lot of just restating the question and buying yourself some time. It's not even might. They have a very
0: clear sense of exactly how this must go where their money is going to get spent, and what the end result is. And it probably has nothing to do with the reality-building software. Yeah. And so like, you have to actually let them work all that out and come to those conclusions themselves. Or you, help them get there. You no, know. I mean, the way you help them is you let them sort of figure it out and you show them what the facts yeah. are yeah. and give them a minute to process. That's like, a that's, great point. Recitation
2: hard. probably then was the best training. What was recitation? Where after a lecture you sit with 20 or so students and you have them work through what the lecture was about and, and answer a bunch of questions You know, it's smaller classroom teaching.
1: Well, I'm liking how we uh, bring up the question of advice because it's something that's valuable to the listeners out there. A lot of people pivot towards product management. We have people in PostLite who are not product managers who would be great product managers. Advice for that person who's decided, hmm, there's a lot of product management jobs out there. I want to go in that direction. What's the one piece of advice you'd give that person? That's a good question.
2: Depends on what kind of product management they want to do. I think a lot of people think they're going to go out and become a product manager and build a million user consumer web app. That's not the bulk of the jobs, and that's actually a really hard job to get. You have to have domain expertise. You have to know a lot about growing a product and, you know, from the marketing to side your, of things. To your
0: point, if you don't know how to get that job, you're not going to get that job. Like, you <laughs> literally, you, you know, no, like, I can't, you know, I've been at this for a while and doing stuff. So, I can't walk into Apple and say, give me something to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. So you're, you're Give me yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think that learning tech is probably the, the first step, like truly understanding at least how web technology works, Yeah. knowing what a server is, what a browser does, how it gets information on the page. I think that's the most invaluable skill and you can cut through a lot of unnecessary conversation and confusion by being able to articulate that clearly you will get eaten alive in this
1: in in the world of technology product manager if you don't know just enough to understand the concepts what are the different kinds of product managers because you're like it depends kind on of, so there's consumer right mm-hmm.
0: which is very specialized. Like it's, It feels like you're going to be the most general case, but it's actually a really small part of the market. i got to make a thing. It's got to be translated. It's mm-hmm. got millions of users. There's specific kinds of testing. That's a whole world. What, what else is there?
1: Well, I mean, there's
0: the technical product manager. Right? right, which is someone who would be more likely to build you a big API.
1: And... Or my job is to build the bridge between Oracle and our customer platform.
2: Learning the enterprise side of product management isn't a particular kind of product management. But there is a a patience and a need to build robust solutions, often with accounting. So I think about that, like enterprise product management being completely separate from a consumer or B2C. This is real.
0: There is a way that business works. And the popular narrative around product tends to ignore it. It yeah. tends to be like, look at the, you know Google search bar or like the Facebook app or a media website. But then there's all the other work, which is like... Which
1: is most of the work. Exactly. To Tom's point, exactly. it is you most to,
0: of the work. Like literally like QuickBooks,
1: Salesforce. <laughs> like these are the things yeah. that power not just like mid-sized businesses. You just named popular ones too. There's mm-hmm. some that are just about like, you know, the garment industry. It's right. Just, but QuickBooks is powering like...
0: Five hundred person companies right now, or 1, yes. thousand person companies, yes. like it's, and
2: they all have budgets, and they need you know APIs, and they need to have Sarbanes Oxley compliant accounting, mm-hmm. all of that. you know, ledger yep. entries. No, and, and, and it's
0: and they're they're shipping their products, you know, to Europe, and now that's getting really complicated with Brexit, and, you know, just sort of, yeah. like seriously, like those are those are hard, hard product problems that take a while to sit down. The nice thing about those as opposed to the more con- consumer-focused stuff. Every time I've come close to it and talk to people, in it, it's just hard. Like Everyone's coming at you all the time, and it's very competitive, and everybody wants your job. You can take a minute and learn when you're trying to interface with Nobody's going like, get me my Quicken results <laughs> in two hours, or you're out of here.
2: Right. But a lot of times, the complexity there is because you're dealing with legacy platforms, right. old tech. People want it to work a certain way. It doesn't work that way. They, they say, how hard could it be, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't you just move that? I feel like you have a
0: good last name for
2: yelling. Ritsinsky. Yeah. Just a, <laughs> the, like just, on the f- other
0: end. Factory yeah. floor kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> feel Fair. we need to start doing that um, Fair. more and more as time goes on.
1: Tom, thank you so much. This thank was you. really cool. Good insights. Good advice for would-be PMs out there. Appreciate it as always. Thank you very much, guys.
0: Richard, LinkedIn comes in for a lot of heat on this show.
1: Well, it's a silly place. Also, I, we're, we advertise on LinkedIn, and I hope it works because it's really expensive. It's really, We've given them thousands of dollars. I don't know how it entirely works yet. I think if someone clicks on one of our articles on LinkedIn, it's like $20. Yeah, it's like a... So please, if you see the article... Don't click. Don't click. you're listening to the podcast, you know who we are. You want something from us, we'd love to work with you. Hello at PostSite.com. Don't click on the link in yeah, LinkedIn. God, it's just, it's, it's like very a, expensive. Do you continue to accept connections? I mean, I just, there's so many people. It's a lot of people. And people go
0: shopping. Like, you're just like, oh, That's you're... That's the thing. I, I can't accept connections from, like, Infotech Estonia 297. Nothing wrong with Estonia. No, but I mean, XR. I'm just sort of like, I don't, I don't want to have an outsourcer DMing me all the time. Let
1: me ask you a question. Please, God. When you post content on the internet, do you think it's yours? When you write an well, essay that, that, for that, Medium, let's use it by, let's do this by example. Do you feel like it's your content or is it theirs? What, what, what do you feel? Well, like I have a here? complicated relationship with Medium,
0: right? Like they've paid me in the past. Okay, that's different, right? No, but even They're there, buying no, your No, this content. is really specific, right? Let's go even further. So I wrote a cover article for Wired Magazine. Good for me, right? Very good for you. How long does Wired own that? I, it, I think it depends on... 90 days exclusive. 90 days exclusive,
1: meaning they own it solely for 90 days. That for
0: 90 days, only Wired can really do anything they want with it. They also have rights to print, public. they have rights publish. to publish it in perpetuity on their website and, okay. and many other things like that.
1: Okay. So if you publish it on your own personal site, you'd mm-hmm. be in trouble. You'd be violating an agreement with them. In those 90 days. Within those 90 And then what happens after
0: 90 days? It's mine. It's theirs and it's mine. So I can put it in a book. I can make a pamphlet. I okay. Can...
1: That's interesting. Now there is, you is know. Is that standard practice? Yes. Okay,
0: it's tricky because there was a lot of a lot going on in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. There was a case, Tassini versus New York Times, which which is where all of a sudden archives got really tricky. You can just put any because magazines were going, oh, we'll put all our stuff on, online. Okay, and also actually, what Tassini was, if I remember correctly, it was that New York Times articles were going into LexisNexis, the big legal search tool. Yes. The Times was putting all their stuff directly in the LexisNexis, and the contracts didn't specify that they could do that. Sure. So writers weren't getting Uh, paid. Is it like a class action or something? So after that, what, what became common understanding is that you can put the archive up, like in a PDF form where the visuals of the pages are there. The magazine or the publication owns the full representation of itself. Yeah. Like the New York Times, a whole issue of the New York Times on like Sunday. Yeah, that's the New York Times, not an individual article. They can't slice and dice until and then a- after that happened, all the contracts through all the Changed. publishing, everybody owns the ability to reproduce and distribute stuff throughout the known universe like it is, it is it's, it's everybody meaning the publisher. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they close that hole. But the the norm has always been, we'll give it back to you. Okay. So do you own your LinkedIn profile? Who owns your LinkedIn I mean, profile? I'd have to read a 900 page term of service to truly understand. My presumption is because I can change it, alter it, or erase it that yep. I own my LinkedIn profile. Okay. Do you
1: consider your LinkedIn profile private?
0: No, it is something I publish to the web. Okay. Via LinkedIn, they provide a service to me. Yes. And I put I put my picture in and my data that they yep. ask for, mm-hmm. and they use that to like fill out their database and make lots of money. They monetize my content, and I get to track my links to other people, see what people are up to, and have a profile for myself online. That anyone can go look at. So it's a resume.
1: I can cut and paste your profile off of LinkedIn. I could send it to somebody. I mean, you I'd probably say, you do. You, you send the link. You know, forget the link. I'm going to take it. I'm going to copy it. I'm going to like just take a screen grab sure. and send it to a friend. Okay, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you and people do it for I mean, your own weird. account,
0: you can usually download a PDF of your LinkedIn and for, send that along as a
1: resume. Send send that along and and whatnot. Okay, what about if I wrote a script that essentially spidered LinkedIn? Essentially, just just kept going and going. Follow and I the links.
0: It's like, oh hey, here's all of Paul's connections. Let's go download all of I their need, data.
1: It's not a complicated script. All I have to do is start with a person. It has hundred people, yeah. and then you're off. You go. And you you can get their title, and you can I mean, get like all this information about them. That's we're right. all twenty degrees of connection. Like probably the whole yeah. world is six. Is it six? Yeah. Is that like a play? I think that's no, a play. That was,
0: the play is named after.
1: A, but wait, is that true? Like mathematically? That was That's the idea. So, okay. So it's not a very complicated script then. No. I'm just going to start with Paul Ford and off we go. Yeah. And within gonna... six degrees, you should get to everyone on LinkedIn. Okay. So that's huge. And that's awesome because what I want to do is create a website called Stinkton. Wait, no. No, I can't <laughs> do that. It's a very different site. <laughs> But let's um, let no, no. I want to make a copy. I want to make a copy. I think LinkedIn's great, but I hate the way they display. Copy of
0: LinkedIn things. is tricky, right? Because then you're copying. You're kind of again. We're almost back to that place where you're talking mm. about. Like you can't copy their design. Okay. You can't copy. Fine, but d- I
1: want to make a better design. It's LinkedIn. I'm going to call it Richie's Better Resume Repository. Nah,
0: I can see you for that. Here's like that is just tricky. All right, right? Fine, fine. All
1: right. So then you know what? I'm going to create a search engine for LinkedIn.
0: Oh, no, this is tricky. Can I do that? Well, this is tricky because you have pages that are on the public internet, right?
1: They are. Uh, Otherwise, I couldn't index them.
0: And there are things like robots.txt, meaning that you can put little rules on your site saying, hey, Google, don't index this. Archive.org, don't index this. But that's not law. That's like, please don't. That's like, just behave. Yeah. And then if somebody misbehaves, you can say, if you see anything that looks like this asking for pages, tell it to go away. Okay, so you can do that too. But in theory, right? Like, what if I wanted to find out all the titles that are being used in the tech industry? You. Like Chief thoughtfulness <laughs> officer. Yeah. Awesome yeah. skateboard
1: you programmer. You could probably hit all of LinkedIn's. But does, is LinkedIn cool with this? If no. You could, can you spider their content and then do all kinds of smart things well, with I that think content? I'm going
0: to bet that they're chill with Google bringing up a LinkedIn page Mm -hmm. When somebody, so if Google goes and spiders LinkedIn and I type in somebody's name and that LinkedIn profile shows up, okay, so they're picking and choosing. Well, that's cool, right? Because then I'm going to go click on that and read their LinkedIn profile. If it's
1: beneficial to LinkedIn, they're going to let it happen.
0: Well, if it drives people towards LinkedIn and LinkedIn services. Okay. Okay. So that's a no brainer, right? And Google and LinkedIn are driving traffic back, driving usage back. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect partnership, right? Like Google tried to do with Google Plus and have people's profiles. It didn't work out. But LinkedIn is a professional profile. I go and type somebody's name into Google. It's just how you're going to see. It shows up, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's the LinkedIn profile. I should go ahead and check that out. Okay. Right? So there, everybody everybody just won. Google got to show me an ad or track what I'm interested in. Sure. So their ecosystem is enhanced, and LinkedIn's ecosystem is enhanced.
1: Makes sense. Oh, well, let's get right into it, actually. This is a real yeah. conflict that occurred. The company's called HiQ. Okay. It's one of those infuriating websites where you go there, and it just says really abstract thing. So I'm going to read you there. Changing the paradigm. IQ Labs is a data science company informed by public data sources applied to human
2: capital.
0: All right, wait, let's see if we can understand what the hell that means. Start. It is. Wait, IQ is people data. It's an applied data sciences company. You said it's one of those phrases. Human capital is rough. It's really, I don't like human capital. You don't like human capital? It sounds like human cattle. It's close to capital. Also, capital. Money is a meaningless substance that flows through the world, like goo that your kids like to play with, like slime. That's not people. Okay, so you don't like the phrase at all.
1: I just don't believe that people is, there, are, is, is that out there. Are people, people not happy with capital. human capital?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure who who could be right. Like, right.
1: So let me let me go. Uh, this okay. is their subhead. There is more information about your employees outside the walls of your organization than inside it. HiQ curates and leverages this public data to drive employee positive actions, whatever that means. Oh my God! So you get so it will spy on your employees. Our machine learning based SaaS platform Mm. provides flight Mm. risks and skill footprints of enterprise organizations, allowing HR teams to make better, more reliable people decisions. That is a little, like, I I bet it's doing stuff like this. Diane updated her LinkedIn recently. Yeah, that's not as bad. Diane made 28 new connections in the last week, and she's only made 12 in the last year. Diane's a flight risk. Diane is a flight. I think it's stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't want I don't want to jump to that conclusion. We needed to put her in the the executive brig. All right. So Q. one of the ways they do this is through spidering LinkedIn. Okay. And so LinkedIn said, stop it. Stop it. We, we see Put the you. robot in.
0: We see you helping yourself. Yes. And I think LinkedIn probably blocked them too, right? It was they like, tried to block them. Send them a it's cease probably, and desist. Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> and you know, for a haiku who's essentially entire pitch is based on spider and LinkedIn, LinkedIn right. they were going to fight this. So yeah. they did.
0: And Hi-Q, uh they went to court. Which is unusual. Often when the big internet giant says, hey, you got to stop it. You go, well, I have, th- this guy over here is my lawyer and he's wearing a-, a suit that's 14 sizes too big and and he lives in a house with his mother and LinkedIn has over 500,000 lawyers.
1: Well, David Boyes shows up.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, all right, okay. I guess our business
1: is over. That's usually where it goes, yeah, right? But Q said the hell of it. Well, they've raised 12 million bucks. So they're, they're pretty well funded. It's a lot of human capital. Also, they're touching on... I think... I don't know why they did this, but it sounded existential. So if you're yeah. going to need to spend a million dollars on lawyers and you've raised 12, unfortunately, you'll have to. The other thing is... This is touching on a very, very fundamental aspect of the internet and of what information is on the inter- internet and who has and the what right can you to do access with it. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's and right. What can you do with
0: well, it? Well, see, and it's this is unique, right? Because you're you're looking at a situation like TV. You can go by a VCR and you re- you can record a TV program, and that's okay for personal use. But you
1: can't. Re- you're not supposed to really share it with your friends. No, I, you know, There's a lot of winking. Of course, and nod. I mean, you have to you have to kind of protect the interests of the the people that have spent made the investment in the content, and right? it's
0: clear who owns the copyright. It's clear and who so owns it. the
1: copyright and whatnot. But if you're user looking to user generated
0: get- content that's on the web, there is a precedent and understanding, and it, there's actually been quite a bit of legal precedent, right? That you can you can download that for analytic and search purposes. Yes, that's Google. Like if you say that that's not allowed, you threaten Google's business model.
1: I think that's why they... I don't know why they sued. I'm speculating, and I love a good conspiracy theory. My guess is they knew they had the wind at their backs on this one.
0: Right, because it really... If you say you're not allowed to spider and reuse public data on the internet for your search service, you're going to the absolute heart of that whole economy.
1: Yes, and it touches on fair use. Fair use is essentially kind of is born out of excerpts that the idea that you can take a snippet of something and you can't go suing the person that quoted your article is the thinking. But fair use in the digital context is actually much broader, right? Which is, can I use the Use it and you know mine the data and look for patterns in aggregate. I'm not republishing your stuff. I mean, we talked a few minutes ago about me taking and making a cooler looking LinkedIn. You can't do that. You can't take the content as it stands today and make a replica of the clones. Or you can't clone. You can't clone, right? And what key is saying is, you can clone is, the idea of LinkedIn. You can say
0: I'm going to make my own wor- resume linker thingy. Correct. And you can, but you can't just go and try to copy it wholesale.
1: All right, so this ends up in court, ends up in appeals court, federal appeals court. So this is actually a meaningful case. Is that, that's the one before Supreme, right? That's correct. Okay, so correct. now it's, it's – unless
0: this goes to the Supreme Court somehow, there's really no – It's is, over. Yeah, it's over. Correct.
1: If I'm not mistaken, it was the – I don't know which – Ninth Supreme. Circuit? Is it the ninth? Yeah, it's which California. is California. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, that, yeah. yeah, that's that's LinkedIn. And, and they held that – first off, I want to talk about LinkedIn's defense. Or not defense. They weren't defending themselves. Legal assertions are pretty slippery.
0: Well, because they don't have to be grounded in what a normal civilian would think is reality. Well, right? listen
1: to how disingenuous this is, right? Okay. Essentially, it was, you're uh, impacting the privacy of the people.
0: Oh, so you're LinkedIn. <laughs> that's what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, <that's their> de- <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is their defense, right? There's like, we have to protect <laughs> the privacy of the users on LinkedIn. Meanwhile, I think if my browser is a little stressed out and I've been using it all day yeah. it just throws me
0: a LinkedIn page there is a LinkedIn cookie like in your toilet like you can't get away
1: you, there is no so the idea of privacy as a legal argument to sort of block this company from doing this is insane right what do
0: they they said that like a certain number of their people have said I don't want to be published to the world
1: or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, they have to piece that part together. Like I think I LinkedIn know. LinkedIn is arguing that
0: like some, not everybody, but a large number of people have said, don't make me indexable more widely. Right, right. And so you can only really find them by directly spidering LinkedIn and ignoring some of
1: that. And Google. And Google, I know. <laughs> so it, this is where it gets really <laughs> messy, right? And slippery. Because what happens is lawyers are great when it's misaligned with the business interests. Yeah. When the lawyers are brought in, they're great at constructing rationale that mm. has nothing to do with A, being a decent human being. Mm-hmm. Or B reality, it right. just when you get to really big fancy cases, it gets really convoluted. Well, which conv- is, this is a circuit court, so it,
0: it's just sort of like we're talking about really abstract law where everybody has a good Ivy League degree, right? correct? Where you're just going like, well, under you know, Smithson versus Beaconwood, the yeah. privacy, <laughs> right. You know, the 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 legislative blah, 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 and and then the judge is just like processing abstraction.
1: And frankly, though, I mean, you've got also, I mean, this is new territory. I mean, yes. spidering information for a start. I mean. 10 judges, years ago this like 20 years ago their spiders were just spiders. Yeah, the judge's
0: America. job, right, is to like figure out what is legally permissible, but because it's new they have to also then I guess act in the best
1: interests of the nation and the the populace. Like what they look for precedent because they look for um parallels in the past. And a lot of that has come out of content and copyright and and such. And it breaks down after a while, but you do the best you can. Well, we've also now
0: got 25 years of copyright being grafted onto digital stuff. Yes. And so there's actual sort of precedence with the internet, not just other
1: media. What the judges concluded was this was an existential threat to the startup. The the startup will cease to exist if we allow them to block this. You know, these are, this is the kind of thing that I think. Let's put aside Haiku's interests and 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 LinkedIn's interests. I think if your stuff's on the internet and you don't outright copy it. I think it is a flavor of fair use, which is if I want to create interesting visualizations or find patterns in data and whatnot, this is an open internet question fundamentally. Well, here's, here's what's up, right? That's very,
0: to lock that down is very, very dangerous because all the innovation in the past has come from, I'm going to take this large public corpus, I'm going to analyze it, I'm going to break it down into an index, and then I'm going to make it explorable for a new group of people in a new way. That's Google. And then yeah. no, what's changed is that LinkedIn says, here, fill out this box. Okay, so Google didn't say fill out the box. They said we're going to go to the
1: web. Yes. What is interesting about this is that I think ultimately, hopefully, high Q. You know, LinkedIn could have concluded. You know, this is actually good for us. Haikyuu, mm-hmm. using our stuff, and essentially the way Google is good for us, right? Yep. But sometimes you you start to get a little aggressive there and decide that you want to exert your influence and actually limit the internet. I wonder if they thought they thought maybe we should buy Oh, uh, That's interesting. They must have, right? Must have. We, I mean, it's probably because they buy a lot of things. Anyway, going back to this, uh, I think it's a good outcome. I think it's the right outcome. I do too. I think that you need this is public content
0: on the web. Yes. And yes, like LinkedIn gets some credit and some, some authority because it was the organization that brought it all together. And they are able to monetize it more efficiently and they have a lot of control. But when you're, you're talking about people have put their stuff online, they're fine when Google indexes it. Of course. Of course. And so if you stamp this down and you say you can't have access to the data we're putting publicly online, you're actually kind of you're kicking the whole thing that makes the web that doesn't mean that like you have to allow every spider to maliciously smash your site.
1: I think it comes down to, again, if you're starting to infringe on how LinkedIn delivers value... Um, these guys are trying to do something a little more creative, which is like you know we're gonna kind of keep an eye on your employees, which is a little <laughs> gross, but, I look, mean, look, but that's stuff that's not, on the internet.
0: That's not how law works here right? It doesn't matter who's which side we're even on here. yeah, like for as far as I can tell, I don't particularly care for either business model <laughs> right but but what we're saying is like the reality, I and mean, there's this thing, you know I don't talk about it because it's one of my little nerd obsessions. It's this thing called common crawl. Have I ever told you about it?
1: No, it sounds like we've got a pitch. When I like it when we pitch
0: on the podcast. People should check out Common Crawl. So Common Crawl is this kind of like low-key project that is a complete, it's a relatively huge spidering of the web saved in a giant Amazon file system, meaning that like you can download billions of URLs. It's the web. It's the web. It's like what Google would use it's to a, make a search engine. It's a copy of the web. It's a copy of the web. And different than archive.org because this is designed for like, I'm going to pull it down and start messing with it. How big is it? Uh, it's like a probably a petabyte now. Like it's huge. Like, okay. Not as big. Google has everything, right? Like yeah. it's, it's a it's a fraction of that. But nonetheless, like that's huge. If you were going to start and do this, you're looking
1: at years of computer time yeah. to make it work and have yeah. a good index. And, and so, what's beautiful is today, I mean, it's seventy dollars worth of Western digital external hardware. No, I know so you can you put can, the whole web on it.
0: You can get the whole thing. It's not tractable, it's hard to work with the URL. like the it's not like a database you can be like, get me all the URLs to start with blah blah blah. It's like it is a chore. I see. Nonetheless, here you have like I could download millions and millions of web pages and create my own spider on top of them, LinkedIn, stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? I don't even know if they have LinkedIn. I'm assuming they do because they crawl. Yeah. And so I could hit LinkedIn's pages, but I could also just go ahead and, and you know, get common crawl, or go spider LinkedIn as a spider and then release that data somewhere and so on. This is how you build things on top of an open web. You can't take that away from me. I think that's the crux. If of it. you want an innovative tech economy that's built on open platforms and standards, I mean, which worked real good the first time, actually. Boy, did it. I mean, trillions in value
1: was created, right?
0: You know what I realized? You and I went down yesterday. We had a big meeting at a skyscraper and we looked out the window. Okay. You know how much all the real estate is worth in New York City? How much? It's like $1.8 trillion. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. You know how much Google's worth? More than that? Um, no, it's about $800 billion. Okay. Okay, so think about, like, that's the market cap today. And the, the real estate is from 2014. So, yeah, we're juggling. But everything south of Canal Street in Manhattan, like, the most expensive real estate in the world, some of it, right? Yeah. That's like Search or Android. <laughs> like, that's what that's equivalent to. It's like Google Docs. Yeah. You the, upper, know Google. the Upper East Side is Google, Google Sheets. Google Docs is definitely Park Slope. Oh. Yeah, you got to go out to Brooklyn for Google Docs. That's not an earner.
1: <laughs> not compared to like you know search what? advertising. No, wait, the Upper East Side is Google Keep. <laughs> oh, oh. God, Yorkville. <laughs> no offense to either the Upper East Side or Google Keep. So it's just sort of like no, I hear you. That's its what you're massive about. value is created on this open platform. That's right.
0: We're trundling around in New York City, which is its own kind of yeah. open and closed platform. This is the scale we're talking about. We're talking about like a global megacity. Businesses love to close the doors behind them. Oh boy, God, do they! This is they the heart. Love doing it. I will say that that is the true heartbreak of really loving this stuff over the last twenty some years.
1: Right. It was it was the Wild West. And it was little
0: like, by little. No, I live I live in the modern world and I I use it and I am empowered in lots yeah. of ways. But if you give me my druthers, I'm gonna say Wikipedia yeah. before I'm gonna say sure. any, you know, something close. I
1: mean look, Paul, Google I mean Chrome's incognito mode mode is filling a void in my life I didn't know I was able to <laughs> It's
0: not even... T- well, now it's Firefox. Um,
1: <laughs> all right. So, you know... Con- good outcome. Congratulations
0: good outcome. to HiQ. Yes. Please don't um, look at my profile. Oh, I know. help <laughs> you yourself. You don't mind. Help yourself. Exactly. And, uh, you know, actually a, a little bit of an assertion of the old values of the web mm-hmm. being something for everybody an Innovation Platform that is that is open to all showing up in the, the Ninth Circuit Court. That's a good thing.
1: Yes. I want to End it with a pro tip. Okay, go. I think some people know this; many don't. That when someone looks at your LinkedIn profile, LinkedIn tells the resume person that they did. But there is a way to turn that off. As a user, I like I look at a lot of LinkedIn profiles as someone that's hiring a lot of people. I've turned it off. You can go in and turn it off so that people don't know that you went and looked at their profile. Yeah, I've done that too. Uh, It's annoying, and it's a it's. Well, you have to give up knowing who looked at yours. And I'm okay with that. Me too. I don't care. I go to town. If you want to look at my yeah. LinkedIn
0: profile, just yes. just go ahead and connect with me.
1: But if I mean, people don't know it. And sometimes people are trying to be discreet about looking someone up. Uh, yeah, and it's not discreet. It's a, it's a, such a creeper of a site. It's it's just, a, so, it's just greasy. Yeah, it's not it's, good. It's it's a greasy. It's, it's a just strange. you're not supposed to have. You're not supposed to want to wash your hands after using. No, your I mean LinkedIn.
0: Of all the sites, the one that's most likely to like lick your face when you're asleep is <laughs> it's LinkedIn. It. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, Rich, you know what? We build platforms. If you wanted us to build a new social network to allow people to connect over their jobs. We, we're can't. good at spidering too. We'll spider <laughs> we, whatever you want. We actually are outstanding at spidering. and something yes. people don't know about us. <laughs> yes. We have all sorts of parsing and toolkits that we uh, What are we, Paul? Oh, I'm really glad you asked. We are a digital product studio and we're your long-term product partner. You come to us and you say, I need to build a thing. And look, software never launches. Not really. You can get stuff into an app store and have people using it and they're excited about it. And then you know what happens? Somebody gives you that three stars. Yes. And they so. go, this is pretty good but you know... Uh, even success, dude, breeds more software. That's it. Work. Success breeds software. You know one of my mottos? You yeah. know the only reward for good work? What? More work. There you go.
1: That's software. That's some work ethic right there. If you
0: need us to build something for you, we'll get you there and then if you need us to stick around and help you, we'll, we'll you'll have a team that will build the product with you. Reach out. Hello at postlight.com. That's We'd right. love to hear from you. If you ever want to talk to us like audio-wise, we have a phone number for an advice line. So you can just call in, ask your question. We will play it on the show and respond to it. That phone number is 904-414-2934. That's right. That's the Track Changes Helpline, 904-414-2934. I can't wait to hear your voice. All right, Rich, let's get back to work.
1: Have a great week. Bye. Bye.